Great to see you guys this morning. For those of you watching online, let me just say this. We appreciate you doing that. I, I know I hear from you uh, almost every day that the online experience is not like being here, and, and we understand that. And we're, we're nine months in, and we're trying to figure this thing out. So anything online you want to share with us, their chat hosts, anything we can learn, anything we can do a little bit better, uh, please, please let us know. I will promise you this. We're praying for you guys. Did that this morning, and we're thinking about how we can uh, do this online experience better. Those of you in Buchanan, we're excited to have you this morning. You have a baptism coming up. Ashley, your baptism, we're super excited about that uh, today. You guys ready to go? Week 13 in Exodus, this is a great, great story. I believe God has some things for us. Certainly, God has taught me some really important things in my life through looking at the story we're going to look at uh, today. It's hard to believe that we're 13 weeks in. We're coming to a close of our study of Exodus. Starting next week, we kind of get hyper speed. We're going to finish out this book and then get ready for our Christmas series starting the 1st of December. But just uh, so we can all be on the same page of where we are. Uh, in the story, the children of Israel, 430 years, they've been held captive in Egypt, crying out for a deliverer. God raises up a deliverer, Moses, who isn't perfect, but we get to see what God can do through the life of imperfect man who would trust the Lord. Children of Israel are released. We have all of these plagues, signs literally devastate uh, Egypt. The Red Sea parts, the army of the Egyptians destroyed, and now the children of Israel are on their way to the promised land. But there are difficulties there. Last week, they are attacked by a group of people known as the Amalekites. It's a, a really a ruthless attack. Uh, children, the elderly pregnant women are killed, and Israel has to go in and physically fight for the first time, and God gives them a victory. If you remember this story from, from last week, it's a pretty prominent story where Moses goes to the top of the hill, and uh, he raises his hands up and as long as he keeps his hands up, the children of Israel are victorious. You remember Aaron and Hur held his hands up, those of you who were here last week. Well, let me just connect the dots. Let me show you a picture. This is the family that won our um, selfie picture for the week. Uh, we had that, our uh, Halloween selfie picture. And, and so uh, Darren Oring, and that is his son and his daughter, uh, Jackson and Maddie. And so you might say, well, how was their picture better than any others? It went right along with the sermon last week. You want to win here? Listen to the message, right? Then we can... We'll do that, but that was a great picture. And so that kind of reminded us of where we were last week. So let's pick up in, in Exodus chapter 18, right after this great uh, victory. And I have entitled this message a really strange title, but uh, I, I hope it'll make sense to you as we move through the morning. I've entitled this message, Lessons from a Lost Preacher, because that's what we're going to have. We're going to have some lessons from a lost preacher. Now, who is the preacher? The preacher is uh, a man by the name of Jethro. The scripture says he is a priest of Midian. Jethro, if you've been following this story, Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. And so just a reminder, Moses, as a 40-year-old man, uh, steps out of the palace in Egypt, and he sees an Egyptian taking advantage of a Hebrew, and Moses takes matters into his own hands, you remember, and he, he literally kills the Egyptian with his bare hands, and now he's guilty of a capital offense, so he's on the run, and he makes his way uh, to a people called the Midianites, and there Jethro, he meets Jethro. Jethro takes him in. Uh, he gives him one of his daughters, so Moses marries into Jethro's family, has children, and works for Jethro for 40 years before he heads back to Egypt after the, the burning bush and speaks uh, as God's representative to release the children of Israel. So here we go, Exodus chapter 18. Let's pick up in verse 5. We're going to look at this chapter through it, and we're going to see three lessons, three lessons 
that I think are important lessons from a life of a lost preacher. Because you say, well, who, who's the lost preacher? It's Jethro, and he was a priest, but he was a priest of many gods. He'd not yet surrender his life to the one true God, okay? So here we go, verse 5. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and his wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. So this is after the Red Sea, after all of the plagues, somewhere, we're not sure when, but sometime during all of this, when the plagues were going on, Moses sent his wife and his two boys back to Midian to be with his father-in-law. So Jethro is bringing the grandkids back. He's like, had enough of these boys, Moses. It's, it's, it's time for you to step up. So he brings them back. Verse 6, Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. And so let's just stop right here for just a moment. And I think this is the first of, of several lessons from a lost preacher. These are things that I think we can really learn from Jethro's life or we see happen in Jethro's life that can really be helpful to us. And here's the first one. Here's what I think Jethro is trying to teach Moses. Your family is the great work of your life. Because think about this. I mean, if you think about the work of Moses' life, Moses had been used of God to release two million Israelites. That's a pretty significant work. Would you agree with that? I mean, Moses had been used of God to destroy the greatest army in the world at that time. The Egyptian army is just destroyed in the Red Sea. That's a pretty significant work. Would you agree with that? And when Jethro shows up, he says, hey, here's your wife and here's your boys. This is your family. This is the great work of your life. And I, not every one of these points are going to hit everybody where they are because we're all at different stages of our life. But can I just talk to men for just a second? We have man church tonight. It's a big day for you. Can I tell you something? Your family is the great work of your life. It is not your career. It is not any kind of achievement. The great work of your life is loving your wife, serving your wife well, and loving and serving your children well. And old Jethro teaches Moses that when he brings the family back. Uh, Andy Stanley said this. It's, it's better than what I said, which that's why I'm not a big fan. The most, the most significant thing you do may not be something you do. It may be someone you raise. It's a pretty good word, isn't it? And I think we need to be reminded of that because what, what does Jethro know? Jethro knew that you don't outsource ministry to your family. It's not the church's. And this is always something that we get a little pushback. It's not the church's job to raise your, raise your kids spiritually. It's the church's job to come alongside and encourage you. But you don't outsource ministry, right? I mean, Moses is leading two million people. He'd probably outsource everything, but he's not outsourcing the raising of his kids. That's what Jethro reminds him of. And, and, and here's another point for, for grandparents. This was in here for me. Jethro knew not to stand in the way of the family. I mean, because Jethro has his daughter back. He's got his two grandkids. There'd be a sense like, this is good. Let Moses do his thing. I got my baby girl back and these two boys. I'll just keep them. I'm a grandfather now. There are moments uh, when I say, you know what? I, I'd just it'd be great if you could just stay here with me, right? You know? And then there are moments we're ready to give them back. But anyways, you understand the point. I think about this. My father-in-law now is with the Lord. Uh, he was a godly man. But early in our, our marriage, you know, just challenging days, which she went through, I'm sure, difficult days, days when Amy would pick up the phone and say, I'm coming home. And he would say, no, you're not. No, you're not. I still remember one time coming home, we were in, just in, in a fuss, and I came home from the office that evening, and his, his, uh, his car was in our driveway. And he wouldn't let her come to him, but he came to her. And he sat down, and he just talked with us, encouraged us, and just reminded how important it is. And he didn't, st my, my point is, he didn't stand in the way of our marriage or our family. 
and neither does Jethro. Now, let's look at the, on verse 7. We'll look at the second point here. So the great work of our life is our, is our family. That's just a good reminder, isn't it? You see that? It's a great reminder because we can lose sight of that with the busyness and everything that's going on in our life. Look at verse 7. So Moses goes out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and, and kissed him. Moses, Moses loves Jethro. Moses worked for Jethro for 40 years, tending his sheep. So they had a great relationship. They greeted each other and went into the tent. Verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardship they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. I mean, when Jethro shows up, Moses is like, Man, we got a lot to talk about. Since last time I saw you, there have just been a few things that have gone down. And so can you imagine? I mean, he's telling, what is he? He's telling the rescue story. He said, listen, you know, after God spoke to me at that burning bush and I came back and I didn't know how Pharaoh was ever going to listen to me. And so God said to throw my staff down. I threw my staff down and Jethro, it turned into a snake. I picked it back up. It turned back into a staff. It was awesome. It was unbelievable. I tapped my staff into the water and it, it, it turned to blood. And then he shares all of the 10 plagues. And then he says, the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, he's just going and going and going. And he's telling his rescue story, isn't he? Right? Now watch this. This is significant. Watch Jethro's response. Verse 9. And again, this was a man who was spiritually a lost man. Right? He worshipped many gods. Jethro was, what does the Bible say? Delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hands of the Egyptians. We're going to push into that a little bit. You know? Here's the thing. That lost people love to hear a rescue story. They're way more interested than you, you might think. And, and listen to Jethro's response. Verse 10, he said, praise be to the Lord, the one true God. Now again, he's a priest of many gods who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. In a sense, Jethro is saying, hey, when you went back to Egypt, I wasn't sure if I was going to ever see you, see my daughter or my, my grandsons again, and, and God rescued you. There is something to your God. Now, hearing all that God has done, I understand there is something to all of this. Verse 11, here it is. This, to me, is the most powerful passage in, in Exodus chapter 18. Listen to what Jethro says. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. This is, if you will, this is Jethro's salvation experience. Jethro is saying, now I know that there is one true God, and he is greater than all the other gods. Listen, until you know that, You'll never step into a right relationship with God until you understand that he is greater than all the other gods, the gods of pleasure, the gods of possession, the gods of achievement, and all those things. Finally, Jethro says, now I know that. So here's your salvation experience. So let's look at the second lesson from Jethro. You guys still with me? Those of you watching online? Here's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing from those of you watching online, it's too easy just to be distracted and just to kind of click off, right? So I understand that, right? But th there's some really important stuff, and this section is super important. Look at the second lesson we learned from Jethro. People are more interested than you think. And you say, well, I don't understand what you're talking about. Well, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about lost people are more interested in the truth of who our God is than you might think. We believe this. We have so much fear about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, right? We have so much. One of the reasons why we have so much fear is we think they're not really interested. 
But what we see in this story, Jethro at this point is a lost man and he is delighted to hear the great things that God has done. Listen, everybody loves a rescue story. And the gospel is the ultimate rescue story, isn't it? It's an amazing rescue story. Now, listen, here's the other thing, and this is a controversial thing I'm going to say, but I believe it's true with everything in me. Let let, let me just kind of build a little rapport with you guys. I believe everybody is created in the image of God. I believe every human being on planet earth has been created in the image of God. Is there some agreement there? Yeah, I agree. That's what the scripture says. That's what I believe. So part of, part of understanding that, if a person is created in the image of God, deep down every person has a longing for relationship with God. That's part of what it means. No matter what a person is into, listen, if someone right now, here's the point that's difficult, if someone right now is living their life apart from surrendering to Christ as Savior and Lord, there's a level of unsatisfaction in their life. That is a given That is just true, and that certainly was true with Jethro because if you go back and read chapter 18 in its entirety, Jethro is coming to bring his daughter and his two grandsons back, but he's also coming to hear what God has done because, listen, what went down with the Egyptians had made its way around, right? You don't need Facebook or Instagram or anything like that to spread. I mean, the word had traveled, and Jethro was like, yeah, I I worship a lot of gods, but I'd like to hear about this one true God. Why is he interested? Because he's unsatisfied. He's longing for more. He's looking for more, all right? So, and another thing we learn about this story is Israel is always meant to be a light to the nations. That's why they had all of these special covenant blessings. That's why God did all that he did in and through them. It's not just so they could keep that and feel really good about themselves. It's so they could be a light to people who did not know who God was and what God wanted to do in their life. So here's what I want to say secondly about this. People are more interested than than you might think. And Jethro shows us that our testimony is our most powerful tool in kingdom advancement, all right? Uh, let me go back to what we looked at last week. And I, I know uh, that when someone like me preaches, the average person remembers about, you know, anywhere from 3 to 5 6 7%. Not very much. Really a blessing to me, right? You know? But last week as we ended chapter 17 and the children of Israel were victorious over the Amalekites, God told Moses to build an altar and write on it, Jehovah Nisi, my God is my banner is what he was saying, right? It was God who gave us victory, right? But he also said, he also said, I'm doing that because there are those, the Amalekites, who in the Hebrew it said raised a fist. If you were here last week, you remember what we said? There are only two things you'll do in your life. You'll either raise a banner to your God or you'll raise a fist in defiance to your God. That's just reality. That's the only two things we'll do. And part of what it means when we say we raise a banner is we say we know that, that only God is victorious over sin and death, right? Secondly, when we raise a banner or raise a flag, we're saying we're coming under your authority. That's part of what it means. But then lastly, remember what we said last week? We said part of raising a banner means I will fight for your kingdom. And what does it mean to fight for your kingdom? The kingdom of God is about the rule of, and reign of God in, in every person's life, right? That, that every human being is born separated from God, but the kingdom of God advances when one person surrenders to Christ as Savior and Lord. And so I want to be involved in kingdom advancement. Well, here's the thing. Long way around the barn, here's the point. Perhaps your most powerful tool in kingdom advancement is your rescue story. It's your personal testimony. Because here's what we're afraid of. We're, I always hear people say that. Well, I don't, I don't share the gospel because I don't know enough. 
and we're afraid somebody's going to ask a question. Listen, the most powerful thing you can share is your story, and you know your story, right? I mean, that's why when, when Jethro shows up, what does Moses do? I mean, Moses just takes him into his tent and tells him his rescue story, right? Now, l- l- let me be honest, and, 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 and you may not, may not like this. This is what, as a preacher, here's what I hear all the time. Why is our country in such a mess today? Our country is such a mess. I hear so many people talk about it. Our country is such a mess today, and, and why aren't we seeing a movement of God today? Where is God in the midst of all this? And I hear people saying all, all of that. Well, let me just try to begin to answer that for you with what I believe. Number one, here's what, here's what statistics tell us. This has been true for the last 25 years. The average person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, less than 5% of folks who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ have ever shared their rescue story, have ever shared what they believe about Jesus with another person. So that means 95% of people who claim to follow Jesus Christ have never shared their story with another person. And so let me just tell you, that's a big reason why we're where we are, right? If you're in business, you got 100 sales reps, and only five of them have ever made a sale. Or listen, not even made a sale. Only five of them ever told anything. You know what your business is? Done, right? Out of business, bankrupt, right? And so, but what do I say? That's what I feel. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Share your story. A rescue story of where God met you in a place where you couldn't go on any further. You were overcome with fear. You were overcome with doubt. You were just stuck in a place in your life and God rescued you. That's what people want to hear. Now, here's another reason why people don't share their rescue story. They don't have one. That's the reality. They don't have one. We'll come back to that. But just so we don't, just so we don't believe that our testimony is some five-minute presentation that we share, our testimony is much more than that. It is sharing our rescue story, but it's also our, our life. You see, don't, we, we can't lose sight that, that Jethro had known Moses for 40 years. Moses had worked for him. Now, Think about this. Moses was educated in Egypt with the best education in the known world at that time. Does that make sense? Some of you guys are already asleep here. I'm trusting those of you who are watching online haven't fallen asleep yet. We need like a snooze alert that could tell us that. Like, well, what? And so if you have the best education money can buy and then you spend the next 40 years tending sheep, there might be a sense to be like, you know what, I'm a little overqualified for this. Right? You ever had anybody that uh, worked for you that thought they were a little too good for what you'd called them to do? You ever had anything like that? That's tough sledding. Lose some respect for those folks, right? But not Moses. I mean, Jethro loves Moses. Because on a daily basis, Moses understood his, his testimony was valuable every day. And the way he was living his life was really paving a way for God to do something in somebody else's life. You see? Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6. This is a great passage. Listen to what it says. Be wise in the way you act, act toward outsiders. Who are outsiders? Folks who have not yet surrendered their life to Christ. That's what Paul's saying. So be wise in the way. In other words, have a plan. Think about what's at stake. Make the most of every opportunity. That's a very challenging word, isn't it? I haven't always lived that out. I haven't made the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace. Wow. You think we've been there as as a church? I'll answer that for you. No. Our conversation has been full of a lot of other stuff. Grace wouldn't always be how I would identify it. Seasoned with salt. Salt adds flavor. Yeah, but do you know what salt also does? Salt creates a thirst. Like, 
Here's what Paul's saying. Be the kind of person that is full of grace so that when folks are around you, they have a thirst to know more about your God with the way you live your, your life. Season with salt so that they may know how to answer everyone. D.L. Moody said this about our testimony. It's a powerful quote, and I'll move on. He says, out of 100 men, only one will read the Bible. The other 99 will read you or the Christian. Pretty good, isn't it, right? Out of 100 men... One will take the time to read the Bible. The rest of them are reading you. Can I just tell you something? Your life matters. Your testimony matters. Live as though eternity's hanging in the balance. Do you know why? Because it is. Now, here's something else I could say. But Jethro shows us two great ironies about evangelism that we don't talk about very much in the church, you know? Um, here it is. Number one, you must listen to be heard. I think we need to hear this like, and again, this is not maybe not for everybody. You're not wrestling with this, but there's a lot of people that want to tell other people what they know and what they ought to believe. There are far fewer people that are willing to listen, right? So think about this for a moment. Jethro shows up, and he tells the most powerful leader in the world at this point, Moses, you take care of your wife and these babies. And Moses listens to him. At the end of this chapter, Jethro is going to step into the way Moses is conducting his business, and he's going to tell him, man, you're not doing it right. You're doing it wrong. And Moses listens to him. Because listen, one of the things that needs to happen is if you want to be heard, and you, you say heard in what? Heard in sharing your rescue story, you've got to be willing to listen to their story. And we don't do that so well, right? Secondly, here's another great irony. We've really got to give in order to gain, and I'm not talking about financially here. That's not the point. We must, we, we must be willing to give away our rescue story, the truth of who Jesus Christ is to us if we're really going to grow spiritually. I hear this a lot, and I, I, this is such an important thing to me. And listen, anytime I teach on this, I get, I get some pushback. People inside the church say this, I just feel like I'm stuck. I don't feel like I'm growing. I don't feel like I have the closeness with God that I wanted to have. And so we take another class or we move to another church where the preaching is deeper and better. And, and there's plenty of those. I, I get that. But here, listen, Jesus offered uh, the woman at the well living water. Do you remember that? Now, here, here's the thing with living water. If you don't do anything with living water, it'll become a stagnant pond in your life. Living water is meant to be given away. And let me tell you something. You ever been around a stagnant pond or a flowing stream? Which one do you want to be around? The answer is pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, if I'm not doing anything, if I'm not giving my faith away, I'm not gaining, I'm not growing spiritually, I become stagnant spiritually. Pretty tough to be around. I think the church needs to hear that today. That's a, that's a great irony. See, it was as Moses gave his faith away that God grows Moses even more. That's what it says in verse 7 on Philemon. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ right? You have to give in order to gain. Now, here we go. Let's, uh, let's finish this chapter out. Let's look at the third thing that we see here, starting in verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, right? Moses' wife and boys had come back. Moses' father-in-law has been born again, right? It's been a pretty good, pretty good day. Next day, Moses goes back to work, and they stood around him from morning to evening. So Moses is the judge. He's the only judge for two million people, right? 
When his father-in-law saw that all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? So if you can get this picture, here's Moses standing around. People are lined up to come to him. Jethro sleeps in a little bit later, maybe comes out of the tent. He's got a cup of coffee in his hand. He's walking around looking, right? Now, again, let me just tell you something. Moses isn't a 21-year-old right out of college. He's an 80-year-old man who's had some skins on the walls. Does that make sense? It's been pretty successful. And here's his father-in-law. And you can always tell, like when your father-in-law or when your dad comes over or when your mother-in-law comes over, right, and they're walking around and they're looking. And they're like, yeah, you know. Um, she may be watching. I don't know. I love my mother-in-law. She was there last night. She, we did some decorating in, in, uh, in, our, in our house. And uh, she came over last night and she saw some things that could make it better. That's a blessing, isn't it? Like, okay, thank you, sister. Yeah, and if she was right, it's good. You know, but you can, you can tell that. I've done that. I've been out, you know, trimming bushes or, or something in my yard. My dad comes over and he's got a word for me on that. Well, you don't trim them that way. It's not the right time of year to trim them. You, don't, you need to wait till late in the fall to trim your bushes. You don't trim bushes right now. Like, uh, it's tough, isn't it? Isn't it tough? It's tough to hear that. But Moses is different. He listens. So Jethro walks around. He notices there a problem. He says, why do you, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge? Here's the question he's asking. While all these people stand around you from morning to evening, like it's a bad day, the Department of Motor Vehicles. He's like, why are you doing this? Why are you the only one? Moses answered him. Listen to Moses' answer. It's pretty good. Moses answered, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Okay, Moses. What's Moses saying? I'm indispensable. Oh, he didn't say it, but that's what he's thinking. He said, because I'm the only one that can meet this need. You know what? We think like that in certain areas of our life, don't we? We think in this certain area, I'm indispensable. Without me, this thing falls apart. Listen, if you think you're indispensable, you're probably delusional. Me too, right? That didn't go over well, did it? <laughs> Listen, verse 16, whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, Moses said, and I decide between their parties and, and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. So when people have a problem, they come to me and I tell them what God says about that. Moses' father-in-law replies. Here's Jethro again. Listen to what he says. What you're doing is not good. <laughs> I love that. Jethro's like, eh, wrong answer. It's bad. He says that. I, I, I just want to drill this home. I know, I know I've said it multiple times. He's saying that to perhaps the greatest leader in the known world at that time. He's saying what you're doing is not good. He says, Moses, you got a blind spot. Now, I don't know, but do you see, if Moses had blind spots in his life, how much more do we? But what do we do with the truth tellers in our life? You see, we dismiss them, right? Not Moses. What you're doing is not good. Verse 18, you and these people who come to you, you only wear yourself out. And, and if we read the book of Deuteronomy, the first chapter, Moses already tells us about what he was thinking during this time. Moses was experiencing burnout, discouragement, and depression about all that was going on, right? You and all these people, they'll come to you. You only wear yourself out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone, right? That's what Jethro's saying. This is too much for you. You, you. you weren't created to do this. Listen to me, and I'll give you some advice, right? Okay. Jethro, you've just been saved for eight hours, but bring it on right? Come on, son. Here we go. And may God be with you. 
You must be the people's representative. Listen, he says, you must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions. Moses, I mean, you've got a role. You you can be teacher, but you can't meet all their their needs and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. I I remember early on in in the life here at the church and, and, um, you know, preaching, uh, visiting everyone in the hospital, doing marriage counseling. There are, not an exaggeration, on, on most days there would be three couples, one right after another, marriage counseling after marriage counseling after marriage counseling. You do three hours of marriage counseling at the end of the day. You don't want to even live anymore. You're like, man, now this is terrible, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. And I'm looking at some of you, and it was you, right? You were there. Right? It's just too much now. Now we have Scott, right? But he loves it, and he's good at it. There you go. Listen to what Scripture says. But select capable men from all the people. Great leadership principle. Listen to Jethro. Select capable men from all the people who fear God. Right? Moses, you're always going to have a choice when you pick someone. And listen, you are too, whether that's in marriage, whether that's in business, in any relationship, you're always going to have a choice. And our choice is to go with someone who's got some sizzle because they've got some gifts. And, and what Jethro's going to show him, he's saying, always choose character over giftedness. Every single time. If you got a choice, choose character. We don't do that. Listen, let me just say this to you. If you don't do that in your business, you you choose giftedness over character, first year, they'll kill it. In year two, they'll kill you. That's the way that deal goes down, right? But select capable men from all the people who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and ten. I mean, Jethro's teaching him how to delegate. He's teaching him how to take all this difficult work and break it down and have a plan. It's going to be better for Moses and better for every one of them. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. I mean, Jethro's saying, if, if, if Simeon's donkey eats some of Levi's grain, uh, it, it's not real difficult. Let somebody else handle that. What, what, what Simeon needs to do is just pay Levi's Levi back some of his grain. Problem solved, next. You don't need to see that one, Moses, right? Anybody can handle that. And you're saying, I didn't see that in the Bible. It's not. I'm just showing you. That's what he's talking about with the simple cases. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Moses is teachable. He listens to that and he applies it. Now, let me just share share with you the third principle, third lesson from the life of a lost preacher. Number one, your family is the great work of your life. Do you believe that today? Is that a good reminder for somebody today? It certainly is for me. People are more interested than you think. Is that a reminder? It's a good reminder. Jethro reminds us of that. And number third, the third lesson is busyness doesn't win you a badge of honor. I hate to burst, burst your bubble. In a Western culture, we think it does. The busier you are, the more successful you are, you're not impressing God. Jethro wasn't impressed. You'll burn yourself out, Moses was, and it'll be a discouragement to everybody around you. Jethro knew that busyness leads to personal burnout and relational frustration. Watch this. Busyness will always equal barrenness in your life. There's been some hard things that have happened through this pandemic over the last nine months. There's no question about that. But as a pastor, there's been some amazing things that have happened. And one of the stories that I keep hearing repeated over and over and over again, and I hope we can have a night on the other side of this where we just get to share these stories, is people that say, it's, it's, it's a real similar story. Everything's closed down. I wasn't able to go into the office. I'm working from home. I had more time than I've ever had in my life. 
and God has met me here. God has spoken to me here. My marriage has been healed. I have reconnected with my children and on and on and on because we thought business brought a badge of honor. It doesn't. It just equals barrenness in every area of our life. And that's what Jethro is saying. And busyness many times results from believing you're just indispensable, right? I'm the only one that can do this, and you're not. And what Jethro is saying to Moses is he's saying, hey, you've got to embrace your limitations. Listen, every one of you in this room has limitations. And think about this. This is good theology. You may not have ever thought about it. The Sabbath, which is a day of rest, was instituted prior to the fall brought about by sin. Isn't that fascinating? So God already knew. I mean, before, sometimes we think, well, well, just weariness is a result of the fall. The Sabbath was instituted before the fall, which reminds us that we have limitations. You have limitations. You can't do everything. You weren't intended to do everything, you see? Jethro knew this, and I'm moving fast because if you're new here, uh, one of the things that we know is when the piano starts to play, I'm supposed to leave. <laughs> but you also know I have a problem with authority. I, I don't. Jethro knew that great leaders equip and empower others. That's what he says. Hey, equip and empower. But let me just say something about this. That's what, that's what Jethro does. But managers delegate tasks. Hey, do this, do that. Leaders give authority away. Does that make sense? And that's what Jethro is teaching Moses. Give them some authority. Let them make some decisions. Ritz-Carlton is an amazing hotel chain. They're known for... Um, great resorts around the world and impeccable service. Um, not stayed there. I've heard it's pretty cool. But one of the things about the Ritz-Carlton company I did not know was that every employee in the Ritz-Carlton organization has been authorized to spend immediately up to $200 to meet a need of a guest. So if, if you are a busboy, a bellman, a valet, the company has given you authorization for up to $200. You don't have to ask anyone, right? If you're taking bags out of somebody's car and you drop it and skin a bag out up, you don't have to go check with your boss. You can go immediately and comp a $200 meal, hand them a voucher. Why? Because Ritz-Carlton understood something, that managers delegate tasks, leaders delegate authority, right? And in the church, that's true. One of the things that we celebrate are going to be celebrating more and more over the last year, we've tried to take a look at some churches in our area that are declining and dying and just saying, how can we help? How can, how can we be silent partners? How can, how can we help in a way? And it's not about us. It's just about expanding the kingdom. One such church on the north side of our county, the pastor came to us maybe just a couple years away from just closing their doors. Um, they had one student in their student ministry, middle school, sixth grade through 12th grade, one little girl, one little girl. And the pastor said, we can't reach young families. So we said, let's pray about, we, we wanna try to help. We have about 12 to 15 college students that we just gave authority away. Todd and Danny just gave authority away and said, hey, launch a student ministry here. Here's a sandbox, go play, see what you can do. They start visiting schools, start praying, uh, prayer walking neighborhoods, preparing. And last Sunday night, they had their first service. 40 kids showed up. There were, some, there, were some, yeah, there were some Muslim kids that showed up, right? And they're sharing the gospel. And none of us were there. Like, they just sent me pictures. And, and, and that's what Jethro is saying. We've given you the authority. 
You know what? If we're ever going to see the kingdom advance, I mean, that's what's got to happen, right? Can I tell you something? God's given you the authority as a follower of Jesus Christ to be his ambassador, to be a minister of reconciliation, right? Let's go do this thing. Jethro knew, watch this, Jethro knew that character is far more important than giftedness. We talked about that. But in your marriage, in your business, in ministry, in, in everything, don't, don't overvalue, don't overvalue giftedness over character. It'll burn you every single time. And that's what Jethro is saying. But then finally, let's come to a close. Moses, Moses' response to me is amazing. Moses knew that every great leader must be teachable. Can I remind you again? Moses is 80 years old. I'm 50. I'm not as teachable as I was when I was 24. Are you? Like, I think, you know what? I've got some skins on the wall maybe, or I think I do. I really don't. People try to tell me some things, and I'm not as teachable as I was before. Do you know what that is? Pride. And the Bible says God opposes pride, but he offers grace to the humble. That's arrogance. Are you teachable? Moses knew that being teachable greets our blindness with sight. You ever, you ever on the interstate and there's a, a, a newer car and you get up beside them and a light comes on on that side view mirror? Do you, do you ever see those, the blind spot cameras? Are there? That's so cool, right? If you pull up beside a, a 78 Nova, it doesn't have that, right? But I see that and then that light comes on and they say, you know what, they can, the, the camera's on them to see what's in their blind spot. You have blind spots. I have blind spots. Everybody in this room, we're believing something that is not true at some level in our life. Moses did. The Bible says this, there's a way that seems right unto man, but in the end it leads to destruction. And some of you are here today, listen, some of you are here today and you believe this, you believe this, and this is not everybody, but there's somebody, I promise you, I promise you, there's somebody here today, somebody watching online and you believe this, you know what, if I could just keep performing, keep performing, striving, if I could just get my life right, if I could just get some things squared away, then God would love me and God would forgive me. That's a blind spot, it's wrong. God died for you while you were yet a sinner. You can never get your life squared away. That's why Jesus came, right? And if you would just trust him right now where you are, he will completely forgive you. He will come to indwell you, the power of the Holy Spirit, and he will begin to bring victory in your life. Somebody needs to tell you the truth. And let me just tell you this. Sometimes, sometimes the best advice comes from unlikely sources. Sometimes the best advice comes from unlikely sources. Last night I was walking through the neighborhood with my three-year-old grandson and I kind of pulled away from his mom and dad and my wife because every time I just like a little bit of me time. You ever like that? Like, huh. And uh, he said, thanks for going trick-or-treating with me, pop, pop. That's the best thing anybody said to me all day, right? Just me and you, right? You see, and it was just a reminder, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm so driven. It's a reminder to slow down and be present in those moments. You won't ever get them back. And sometimes the best advice comes from unlikely sources. Be teachable. I lied to you a minute ago. I said I had three points. I got four. I didn't even put this one in your notes because it's the best one. I just want you to listen. I don't want you to look at your notes. Music's playing. I'm going to be done in a second. Here's the best lesson from the life of a lost preacher. It's the most important lesson from Jethro's life. Here's what Jethro teaches us if we'll watch. Religious activity is never a substitute for a relationship with God. Jethro was a priest. <laughs> he was religiously active. 
but don't ever confuse religious activity for a relationship with God. You know what turned the tables and brought Jethro into a right relationship with God? A rescue. He was rescued. He realized that the God of Israel, Moses' God, is the one true God, and he's greater than any other gods. Can I tell you something? Here's a question as I close. What is your rescue story? What's your rescue story? Well, here's what I hear all the time. I grew up in church. That's a good thing. That's not a rescue story. I was raised in a Christian family. That's a good thing. That's not a rescue story. I went to a class at 12 and got the stamp that said I knew what I needed to know. That's a good thing. That's not a rescue story. I walked an aisle at VBS in 78. It's a good thing. It may not be a rescue story. Because what's a rescue story? It's when you found yourself in a place where you couldn't go on any longer and you were done and fear had swept over you and controlled you and nothing else, no other gods worked and you trusted him and he rescued you. You were for the first time free. It was when he left in 84 and you found yourself alone and you were so scared and paralyzed and none of the other gods worked. And you looked up to him with eyes of faith and he rescued you and he became alive in your life. And it was so different. It's when the doctor came in and said it's stage four. We just need to think about comfort. And in that moment, none of the gods And you trusted him and he rescued you because there was something that happened in you that you have never experienced before. Don't tell me about your religious activity. Tell me about your rescue story. Father, we're here today looking at some lessons from a lost preacher. There are so many stories that you could have told of all the things that happened that we've never been able to contain them, but you inserted just the right stories for just the right moments and just the right life. Father, you're still a God of rescue stories.
for those who finally are willing to look up and trust you above all other gods, pleasure, power, money, achievement. Father, I believe there's some folks here today watching online in this room today that are ready to be rescued, even in this moment, as they are placing their trust, they're looking up to you with eyes of faith. Would you begin the work of writing their rescue story? Help us never confuse, never ever confuse religious activity for a supernatural rescue. In Jesus' name, amen.